As you're sitting down, let's turn to the book of Romans. And Wendy, if we could have the sermon slide. Romans, and today we'll be starting in chapter uh, 14, starting in verse 4. I'd like you to look at that picture up on the screen and answer a question. I'd like especially you men who are married. Imagine that that's your wife up there on the screen, okay? In five years or so. Question is this, would that have any effect, say, on how you treat her now? It better have some effect. Because, in fact, that is your wife up there. Something like that will be her in heaven if she's a Christian. And a male version of that is going to be your husband in just the blink of an eye, or at least so it'll feel once we're there, or a friend or son or daughter or any brother or sister in Christ. C.S. Lewis summed up what the Scripture has to say about this when he said, the dullest, and most interesting, the dullest and most uninteresting believer you can talk to will one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors, those who don't know Christ, or, in the case of those who do, everlasting splendors. How do you think that knowing that, that that is all of us, would affect the way we treat one another? In Iron Hour this week, our weekly men's breakfast, we kind of went through uh, what we're going to be talking about today at, at, at a uh, uh, kind of on a shallow level. We'll be plunging in today. But I began by asking them the question, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? And on the left side of the board at the top, I wrote yes. On the right side of the board at the top, I wrote no. That is, yes, I am my brother's keeper. No, I am not my brother's keeper. And guess which side had far the more entreats? It was the left side. Yes, all the reasons why we are indeed our brother's keeper. All the ways we're called to help needy brothers and to help with different needs, to speak the truth, to love one another. And that's good that they were mostly there because that's what the Scripture emphasizes. Live and let live is to live and let die in so many different ways. In fact, this week I was thanking God Almighty for someone who believed that He was my keeper. I was driving back from Denver with Rob Mitchell, got halfway up the hill, and got a flat tire. And I get kind of oblivious to things as I'm driving and talking, and so eventually Rob said, Brian, do you hear that? And I said, no. And, turned, and then I started listening, you know, and not just thinking about the conversation. And I did hear it, and we stopped the car, got out, smell of rubber so strong. You know, it turns out I ruined a, beautiful, a, a perfect snow tire. Uh, cost, I won't tell you how much it cost, but we, we pulled over, and I got out, and he said, Brian, you better put on your hat. It's pretty cold out here. I said, I don't have a hat, I'm afraid. And uh, so we get out, it's pitch black, and he says, why don't you go get your flashlight? 
And I thought, I don't have a flashlight either. This is really humbling to go through this. And I could tell, you know, that he was biting his tongue because this guy was always prepared and someone you can learn from. And we, um, But he had mercy. He didn't say anything. And so it got to be pretty cold because I didn't have a hat. And he was taking off the lug nuts really slowly. And so I kind of took over, suggested he do something else, whirled the thing around, came off, lug nuts, Dropped to the ground, pitch black, couldn't find it anywhere, and uh, so and he still didn't say, "I told you so." You need to come prepared, and so. But no sooner had that happened than this big truck pulls out in front of us or, and stops and comes back, and the guy says, "You guys need any help?" And you know, being a, a man, I said, "No, we pretty much got it under control here, but thank you so much." And then he stopped, looked at us, and said, "You need a flashlight." And I said, oh, yeah, we need to thank you. And so he brought this flashlight. And I said, well, do it in a hurry so that, you know, you can be on your way. He said, no, don't worry about it. He said, you can have it. Just give it to someone else who is in need. A really nice flashlight. I was glad that he knew that he was his brother's keeper in this case. We are called to be prepared, and we are called to be our brother's keeper in so many ways, rather than being just selfish. But there is another side to it. One which the Scripture doesn't focus on quite as much, and yet still it's really, really important as we're going to see today. And that is, while we are our brother's keeper, we are not our brother's master. And it's really easy to confuse the two as parents, as couples, in all so- as friends, in all sorts of different relationships. We are not our brother's master. And if we're going to love and honor each other as he wants us to, we have got to hold these two truths in tension at home, at church, with friends, again, as parents, as couples. As I titled this sermon, uh, I am my brother's keeper. I am not, though, my brother's master. In Romans 14, starting in verse 4, as we'll see today, Paul says that one of the main ways we make ourselves our brother's master is when we judge our brother or our sister as though we were God. And we've seen for the last two weeks how very easy it is to do this. Let's see again how it happened back then. Romans, will bring it up to verse 4, verse 1, Romans 14, verse 1. Now accept one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions, putting yourself in the seat of God, as though you're the master. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with contempt, as though you were God, him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him, for God has accepted him. We've unpacked that. Let's move on to verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another to his own master? There's one master. He stands or falls. Let's get this God-man thing straight. And stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Let's stop right there. In the Christian system, you can't launch out with truth without eventually encountering counter-truth. All heresy is one truth taken to an extreme without the counter-truth. And that's exactly what's going on here. When it comes to our responsibility for our brother or sister, say, when it comes to our responsibility to speak out when we see something that needs to be addressed in our brother and sister, knowing that live and let live means live and let die, 
When it comes to that responsibility, we're to confront, yes, but not to condemn. And there's a subtle but powerful difference in our spirit between the two. We're to be truthful, but not judgmental, as though we were God. The truth is, in, the, in so many ways, we are our brother's keeper. The counter-truth is that we are not our brother's master, because as we'll see today, Christ alone is the Lord, and He will make them stand. Now, the issue back then, as we saw last week, had to do with uh, eating meat sacrificed to idols in particular, and in general with being kosher. That This was a hot topic that was splitting the church, just like there are many hot topics that split the church to this day. And we saw a few of them last week and the week before. But this time, we'll focus not on what divides us, not on what we do, but on why we do it. Why we become judgmental, because that's what Paul does in powerful ways in our verses for today. We'll see that we so easily become judgmental because from, you know, politics to parenting, from uh, to, to working out our marriages, it seems that sometimes it's our second nature to play God rather than pulling back and letting God be God. And why is that? Well, today we turn from Paul's exhortation about judging to his explanation. Starting again in verse 4, as we start to unpack it now, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Here in a few words, Paul tells us why it is that we become so severely judgmental and we might not even feel it or see it, but our loved ones do. Why it is that we can become so severely judgmental rather than being simply and sincerely and lovingly truthful. And you can tell the difference, or at least everyone around you can. He deals with judgmentalism here on the level of why we do it. Because correcting that at that deep level will take care of what we do. That is, the Scripture exposes here uh, the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts where real change has got to begin. Inside-out change, which is what Christianity is all about, which is where the Pharisees got it wrong. They thought it was all about the outside, and they judged people on the outside. And so he says, who are you to judge? That is a word that is filled with a motivation in the original Greek, the servant of another. To his own master he stands or falls. The implication is this, to his master he stands or falls and not to you. And when you judge, you presume that the, the, the latter is true. He does not stand or fall. He does not bow or rise before you. Or at least he ought not to. And we ought not to treat him that way, even if we're parents. Paul's saying this, if you're being judgmental, in all likelihood what you're really thinking, or at least what you're feeling at a very deep level in your heart of hearts, is that they are ultimately accountable to you, to me. That's what anger is, if you think about it. Anger is, or at least it's part of what it is sometimes, anger is what anger does. And to find out what anger does, you need to talk to the person that you're angry at. 
Anger is what angry does. anger does. And though we may not see what our anger does, our loved ones can feel it. Oftentimes, anger is man's way of playing God with someone else. Of putting them, you know, under our thumb and then rubbing it in as though God Almighty wasn't doing a good enough job of punishing them and of pushing them to change. More often than we might like to think, anger is man's emotion when we usurp God's position. But James says, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to what? Anger. Why? Well, it's what we're talking about today. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, though we might think it should or does. We think our anger, our condemnation, our judgmentalism will make them change, will produce the righteousness of God. But it won't. In fact, it usually, of course, does just the opposite, doesn't it? You get in arguments, lines are drawn in the sand, one guy's forever this way, the other guy's forever this, that way, whether husband or wife, parent or child or whatever, and nothing is accomplished. Which is Paul's point here back in Romans 14. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. That is not to you. And stand he will because of what you do? No. Because the Lord is able to make him stand. It's the Lord's business to change someone and to make them stand. Which is Paul's point here. There's a hint of sarcasm here. The Lord God Almighty is able to make them stand and not you. You are not God. Very basic, but very important for all of us, including me. Again, you've made yourself your brother's master when by your anger, your goal is to punish them. That's what you're feeling like, I do. Maybe not even putting it to words. And then push them to force a change as though I were able to make them stand. And people rightfully really react to that kind of godlike posture over them. You'll be doing the same thing with your brother that we often do with our kids, and that is, you know, trying to change them by getting angry at them. Ever done that? I have. You know, it may work for a time while they're still, you know, rugrats, and you're three times taller than they are, right? Put the fear of God in them. That's what that's what parenting is. You say jump and they'll jump. There's a brief, a brief period in the development of a child where that will work, though you do end up paying for it. But if you're being judgmental, your motive, your goal, the hidden uh, intention of your heart will be to, uh, to force them to do what you think they ought to do when you think they ought to do it as though you were able to make them stand by the wrath of God which means we need to be take a very close look at what's really motivating us deep down on the inside. Because if we've not dealt with how judgmental we're sounding, more and more they will resist and they will ultimately reject our influence. Whether children or spouses or whatever. They'll sense not compassion, but you'll be dripping with condemnation without even knowing it. Not honor, but dishonor. Disrespect. Remember in our benediction every week, honor all men. 
especially your spouse, especially your children. And this does not achieve the righteousness of God when they feel that way. As someone said, and I love this, your respect for a man or a child as he is is his greatest motivation for becoming better than he is. Your respect for someone as they are is their greatest motivation for becoming better than they are. And so that better be foundational in all our relationships. So Paul focuses almost exclusively here on getting this uh, God-man thing straight. And then he helps us get it straight in another way. Verse 5. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. He's talking here about the Sabbath day, and that was another issue that was dividing the church back then, that whether you should keep the Sabbath like the Jews used to be or not keep it. Jewish Christians felt very strongly that you ought to. It divides Christians to this day. One man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike, and then he goes on to say this, let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He's saying, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, and not my brother. It's me first, is our posture. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He turns all those fingers around and they're pointing back at me. Paul completely turns the tables here. And he basically says this, your goal in life is is not to, to play God, but it's to please God. It's all focused on that. If we get that thing right, we will live as we ought to live. You do that, you please God, not by being fully convinced, you know, of what they ought to be doing uh, in their own minds. As though you please God most by expressing your opinions, whether by what you think or by what you say. No, that's sheer Pharisaism. That was the fundamental problem with the Pharisees. Rather, you please God most by being fully convinced about what you ought to be doing, what I ought to be doing, fixated on that more than anything else, and doing that. And by the way, as most of you know, that's what changes people. People open, close their eyes to advice, but they open their eyes to example. Be fully convinced in your own mind and do that. That'll open their eyes in this area where you disagree more than anything else. That's what changes people far and above anything you say. The bottom line of being an influencer is what you do. Very important parenting principle. I was over family ministries for several years at our first church back in the 80s. And I came up with a list of what goes into godly families. And the first thing is, godly families need godly parents. And the idea is it's all about being something, not doing or saying something to your kids. It's all of the overflow of who I am in Christ, which is the same thing here. A very important parenting principle, very important marriage enrichment Principle, very important friendship principle. How does the saying go? A man convinced against, this is Benjamin Franklin, I think, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. 
And so let each be fully convinced in his own mind, because verse 6, he who observes the day, this was the Jewish Christian who felt Sabbath-keeping was still God's law, he who observes the day, um, observes it for the Lord... He's not saying who's right or wrong here. It's interesting. And he who eats, that is Gentile Christians who are not kosher, who eat pork or whatever, also does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. That is, he gives thanks to God for his food before eating. What he's saying is this. What your brother or sister is doing is insignificant compared to who they're doing it for. So... Don't get too hung up on externals. Our, our motivations are far more weighty even than our actions in God's eyes. Even than our convictions, our opinions, our motivations, which God alone can see. He's saying, God looks to the heart and you can't. So back off. They may be observing the Sabbath, and I, that might not be the law for this day, but if they're doing it unto me, it's music in my ears. Again, he's dealing with our interior here, and he's saying, point the finger inward, deep down inside first. Be something from the inside out first. Open their eyes through your example first. Go deep down into yourself, unlike the Pharisees did. lest in pointing the finger outward you become a Pharisee. He's saying, don't lord it over anyone. He's saying, remember who's the Lord and live your life for Him rather than just telling others how to live their lives, even as a parent. He's saying, sometimes you need, very basically, to just mind your own business. And with older kids, especially if they're struggling, you know, with drugs or whatever, sometimes you need to just let them go. You're not God. Just give them over to God. Or you'll end up enabling the very behavior that so concerns you, which parents do with kids on drugs. There's denial. They give them money. I, there was something on 2020 last week. You'll end up enabling that behavior if you think you're God and you've got to bail them out and change them. Or on the other hand, they'll end up just reacting to your anger with their drugs and reacting into drugs the rest of their lives. I wouldn't touch playing God with a ten-foot pole, and yet I do. We need to let them go. And this teaching applies then in so many ways. But then starting in verse 7, he comes at it kind of from one last angle. Let's read it. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. Or if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Why? Verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, not you, both of the living and of the dead. Again, it's all about motives. Christianity is about Christi uh, transformation from the inside out, what only God can do. And it, the, the fundamental motive that will have the most powerful impact in changing others is that we're to live for Him before all people because we belong to Him, because we were saved 
by Him. That's what verse 9 says. Therefore, Christ is the Lord of all, and the rest of us, by comparison, are on a totally level playing field. The bottom line of what Paul is saying here in Romans 14 is that when we look at one another, we're looking at servants of another, of another person, of a God who knows what He's doing. So they don't need another God in their lives. God died for them. He is jealous for them. Far more than you as a parent are jealous for that child. So, handle them with care. Handle them with honor. Honor all men. And the rest of Scripture bears this out. Christ had to remind Peter of this in John 21. I'll just give you one or two examples here. Uh, Christ had just told Peter by what kind of death he was going to have to die. And it was by crucifixion. And uh, that wasn't a very happy prospect. And so Peter, what does he immediately do? Say, Lord, how? Please help me make it through this. I want to fulfill this calling. No, he turns around and points the finger at John and says, what about him? Is this going to be fair? Right? He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I'm sure John didn't like, following them. And Peter, therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? That is, how is he going to die? Better not just be me who's got that to look forward, forward to. You know, don't be playing favorite here, favorites here with this one you love. A lot of stuff that's built up probably came out. But Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come pain-free, what is that to you? You follow me. I am the Lord that you're living for. Same teaching. And this saying therefore went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only, and the Scripture repeats it here, so important is it, that he only said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? He's trying to make a point, and that is this. Mind your own business. He's my servant, not yours. And you follow me. Just like Paul says here, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Remember the parable of the laborers who were hired at different times to work in the vineyard and then he ends up paying all of them the same amount? Those that worked one hour, those that worked all day. And they were really upset. And they complained. And the master said, Am I not allowed to do what I choose? To what belongs with me and to me. That is, mind your own business. He's my servant. He's working under the terms of my employment. It's my money, my reward. You're not God. You're not the master. And what's right for you isn't necessarily right for him and vice versa. We're all so unique. I can do what I want with mine. I set the standards for every one of my servants. And sometimes they are rather unique standards that only I can understand. Though you might disagree with them. We have got to allow for the fact that He deals with each of us in wonderfully unique ways. We each have our own matchless story. Uh, he deals with us on different schedules, for different wages, under different, differing conditions, with different, different marching orders. And we do contribute to the growth of a brother or sister, but He alone can make them stand. Which is the heart of this passage. The first verse of our verses for today, back to Romans 14, 4. 
Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will. For the Lord alone is able to make him stand. Stand he will. Stand she will. The whole passage is based on a wonderful promise. What he's talking about here is the process by which we grow to become like Christ. And the most important dynamic that's involved, and that is our motivation, who we're serving, who we're doing it for, not the externals of what they're doing, but the internals of what I'm doing and why. And from the get-go, the first thing Paul says in light of who we're serving is this, stand he will, stand she will, and stand you will, and me too. I find this so very comforting. Whatever you're going through, in the end, though it be, you know, through hell and high water, He will make you stand. And whatever a brother or sister you're talking to are going through, stand they will. You know, He'll, he'll, he'll get them a flashlight if you can't get one for them. It's not all up to you. The pressure's off. He'll make them shine. So much so that as C.S. Lewis, he summed up the Scripture's teaching again. He said, one day we'll stand dazzling, radiant, immortal. We'll pulse all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. You know, sometimes I wonder if we could only see our kids, if we could only see our kids from the get-go as the adults they'll one day be, Right? When we'll be yearning to be invited over to play with their kids, with the grandkids. When we'll be yearning to be friends now that we're adults. If we could only see our kids from the get-go as the adults they'll one day be, how, how would that affect our parenting now? How might we treat them differently? Which is the whole point. Imagine that. Okay? Next time you look at your daughter or son, wife, or husband, brother, sister, mother, father, friend. If they're believers, that'll be them. In fact, you know the title of that painting? It's called The Bride of Christ. Which is how the Lord who we serve imagines us. That's how He imagined us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He loves us as though we were that. He loves us unconditionally as though we already were what He knows we'll one day be. There's no love like that apart from Him. And that's how He wants us to love one another. Love like Him. Bearing all things, like Paul said, because we believe all things. We believe that's the future. Enduring all things because we hope all things. Being our brother's keeper, but not our brother's master. It'll take the world, the weight of the world off your shoulders as a parent or as a pastor. <laughs> Took the weight off my shoulders. Because you know, even as you work hard to be their keeper, it's His business to make them stand as their master. 
If they're believers in the end, stand they will. It's all over the Scripture. He who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus and He returns for her. Faithful is He who called you, 1 Thess 5.24, and He will bring it to pass. Father, we want to thank You today for the hope that we have, that we sang about, the hope of what will one day be. Father, help us to love one another like You loved us unconditionally, like You changed us more and more to be like Your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why don't we stand together? One brief announcement. Tomorrow is 7. There's going to be a... Young Life Couch Party. That doesn't sound as bad as it... That's not as bad as it sounds like. And Scavenger Hunt at the SOS headquarters in Frisco. 7 p.m. is going to be a blast. If you know kids, invite them to come. But in the meanwhile, go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. And here it is. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, and share the gospel. Love and serve who? The Lord with your all. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all this week and through us. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. Treasures in